Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. closet. An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space, space. space to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped right, right. boat neck sweaters. sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Oh, it's the month of August. We are that much closer to the start of the college football season, and that just gets us that much more excited about the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. And together, we try to entertain you for an hour plus each and every week with some good college football talk and conversation. And I'm glad to do it again this week. J.C., uh, last time out, we were talking a lot of SEC and ACC, uh, those conferences not only dominate the, the talk a lot of times geographically, uh, as we're both located in the southeast, but sometimes nationally. When you think about it, I mean, we're, we've been living in a Clemson, Alabama world. Uh, the SEC is always going to have its fingerprints all over the big picture conversation, and now Clemson has become a national power, so that makes the ACC more relevant. But there are three other leagues, and they do have good teams in those leagues. So let's get into those uh, and start with some Big 12 talk. The Big 12 had their media days, again, the same time as the SEC did, so it, it kind of got overshadowed. And the problem, as I see it for that league, J.C., is that there are nine teams that have been getting overshadowed because Oklahoma seems to win it every year. It seems to be there are there, there are. Th- two things we can bank on every year. Oklahoma's going to be number one, which they've done, I believe, six years in a row now, and Kansas is going to be number 10. So two through <laughs> nine, two through nine is unpredictable. Uh, as, as, as we look forward to this season in the Big 12 and Tom Herman in year two and, you know, Gary Patterson's always got a scrappy TCU bunch. What do you think we're looking at that's any different, if anything, in the Big 12? Well, I, I know that they're going to score a lot of points and not play a lot of defense. Look, the Big 12 narrative, uh, I, I've never seen a league uh, after Oklahoma hung 48 on Georgia's defense last year, which was impressive, you know, tout a loss as much as they have. Um, you know, there's people out there going, oh, these offenses, they would work in the SEC. Well, you yeah, know, sometimes they would. But sometimes they wouldn't. And look at Oklahoma against Clemson a couple of years ago, Baker Mayfield and all. Clemson had a very good defense. That wasn't a game. Um, I think Oklahoma's offense was better last year, obviously, than it was in 2015 um, with Mayfield being a senior and all. But but still, you have to play defense. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this league credit, Mike. I'm going to tell you that I thought TCU had a good defense last year. I think Iowa State – had a good defense last year. I thought K-State K typically plays pretty good defense, and Texas at times plays pretty good defense. Um, but uh, still, my, my contention with this league is it's run and shoot, fun and gun all over the place. It's fun to watch, but winning championships, you know, the, the team that decides they are going to start – and you can run tempo all you want. You can run a fast-paced offense, but they, they start – being able to just shred teams on the ground, eat a little clock, more clock than some of these guys do, and play good defense, 
along with having excellent skill talent, which all of all of the teams really in this league do. Maybe Kansas doesn't, but you know, all the all the teams of this league have excellent skill talent. That's the team that's going to be able to go to the college football playoff uh, and make things happen. Now, w- will that be Oklahoma? Maybe. Uh, you know, I, I think Oklahoma's right there. Obviously, they should be picked first. Um, you know, they do have to replace Baker Mayfield, which is is no easy task. But you know, they still have a lot of talent uh, on that team. Uh, I think that two interesting programs, um, and I always get behind TCU because I like TCU and I love what Gary Patterson's done with that program. Uh, they really had very little transition going into the Big Twelve. Uh, I think second year they were four and eight. Patterson revamps his offense, which was smart. Uh, they still play good defense. They're going to be top four in the league just about every year. Very, very competitive. But intriguing to me, and then I have a dark horse. And the dark horse will probably fishtail into a conversation we'll have later about coaches on the rise. Texas, at some point, has to make a move, okay? This is Tom Herman's second year at Texas, typically – Look at Kirby Smart at Georgia. Transition year, first year, then boom. Wow. I'm not saying the talent level in Texas or the culture at Texas right now is what it was at Georgia in Kirby Smart's second year. But I'm saying a lot of times coaches in their second – good coaches in their second season make a big leap. Urban Meyer at Florida. You know, they were an Outback Bowl team his first year, second year, national championship. Tom Herman, I think, is that type of coach – um, to where um, he'll get it done. And I, and I think I just messed up. And it, it, this is his third year. Herman's third year? Or, or first? So, no, second year. Second year? Second year. Yeah, him. yeah. For I mean, Tom it feels like, we, feels like we've been talking about him for uh, for about 10 years. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking about watching that Maryland game, and, and I, I was kind of – I had a flashback, and I wasn't where I thought I was. So, yeah. So, second year, uh, teams tend to, you know, make a big leap. Um, the other intriguing team to me is West Virginia with Will Greer at quarterback. Mike, you and I talk all the time about how important it is to have an excellent quarterback, and he is. And they open with Tennessee. I think they have a chance to tattoo Tennessee over there in Charlotte and open her and get things going, and they have enough firepower to outscore people, and they don't play bad defense up there either. So, you know, those are the two intriguing teams. Dark horse to me is Iowa State. Matt Campbell, uh, who I'm sure we'll talk about later as far as coaches on the rise, he's done an excellent job with that program. Is Iowa State going to be able to win the league? I don't know, but I think they could finish you know, top two or three. I think he's a pretty good coach. He pieces it together uh, in recruiting and, and all that. You know, downward trend, uh, I'm going to say Oklahoma State and Kansas State and Texas Tech will all kind of be not as good as some of the teams we've seen from them in the past. Baylor's going to continue to slide. I think Matt Rule's a really good coach. Not sure of the fit, not sure of the situation. <laughs> and then there are the Jayhawks, you know, and, and I'm not sure, uh, you know, hopefully they win a, a league game uh, this year. Mm. But um, that, that's kind of my take on it. Uh, you know, Oklahoma to me would be the favorite. Texas and West Virginia are the teams to look out for. Uh, and I'm intrigued by Iowa State. I am intrigued by Iowa State and then I think Matt Campbell did one of the best coaching jobs uh, in the last 10 years when you look at what he did last season. I mean, he, he's winning big games with, with quarterbacks that uh, basically scrap heap situations and, and still winning games. Um, the thing I worry about for a guy like Matt Campbell is that 
I don't know if his stock could get much higher than it was at the end of last year because Iowa State is a very difficult place to win. And, and they're great fans there. Uh, it's a passionate uh, fan base. It is a school that gets behind college football big time. But, man, is that a difficult job. It, just from a recruiting standpoint, not many people have had a ton of success there uh, in the last 20, 30 years. So I, I wonder what they can do. I, I look at the Big 12 overall. You know, I go back to, wasn't that long ago, I had a, a four or five year span where I was calling Big 12 games uh, every week. And I learned a lot about that league because you, you you meet with all the coaches. And, you know, we sit down with the head coach, but we also sit down with the coordinators, offensive and defensive. And when you sat down with the O-coordinators, co- boy, they were so confident and, and pumped up because they had – Great skill players. It's a league that has put out a lot of quality quarterbacks over the last 10 years. And, and you could just tell talking to them. They knew they were going to put 30 points on the board no matter what. They could have an off day. They could turn it over four times. They were still going to hang 30. And then you'd sit down and you'd spend 20, 30 minutes with the defensive coordinator. And these were all bright guys. And a lot of them had backgrounds where they were successful at, at SEC schools, at Big Ten schools. And you'd sit there and you'd talk to them. And, boy, they knew their stuff and they knew their scheme. And they they had it all mapped out. But when you when you – some of them, when you got to the core of how they felt about the game, they would just – I had one defensive coordinator tell me, you know what, Mike, i got to say, I mean, it's it's just impossible to stop people in this league. With, with the way it's set up, you can't shut anybody down in our conference, so we just have to try and outscore everybody. And that was about three, four years ago, and really not much has changed. It, it's the first one to 35 wins a lot of these games. Uh, I don't know why Texas can't be the exception to this rule. I don't know why Texas can't put together just a real salty defense and, and just kind of change – uh, at least for whenever they're playing week in, week out, kind of the overall culture of the way the game is played in that conference. But they haven't been able to do it for a while. And they, you know, they hired a guy who, who hung his whole reputation on defense, Charlie Strong, and Charlie Strong's defense did, defenses didn't stop anybody either. Uh, so I, I'm with you. I think te- this is a big year for Texas. Look, Tom Herman's not going anywhere, and anybody that – hints at Tom Herman being on some kind of hot seat or something, almost like the Jim Harbaugh thing. It's just ridiculous. <coughs> Excuse me. you got to be realistic. Texas has had a rough, rough transition here for a while, and, and I don't know if it's a two-year reclamation project where all of a sudden they are the beast of that conference, or at least 1A, 1B with Oklahoma. I think it's a huge year for West Virginia. Uh, they have the quarterback, as you mentioned, in Will Greer. You know, they have what most of the schools in this league, quite frankly, do not because there is no more Baker Mayfield. There is no more Mason Rudolph. Uh, They've got the guy, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. They've got receivers to go with the guy. So it's not like it's just going to be Will Greer by himself out there. I mean, he's he's got targets out there. He's got weapons out there, uh, whether it's a, a Kennedy McCoy at running back uh, whether it's Sills at wide receiver, they've got guys that can help him put a ton of points on the board. And you keep hearing defense is better, defense is better. But as always, it's the Big 12, so it's a believe it when you see it. I, what concerns me about this conference as a whole is that if we were talking about the Big 12 five years ago, Baylor became a national power. Kansas State still every other year could put together a 10-win season. 
under their AARP head coach. <laughs> but but they have gone south. Okay, I think at, at some point, Kansas State, <laughs> no one's going to kick them out. But uh, I just wonder if they can ever get back to where they were, where it seems like every JUCO they brought in there turned out to be a gem. And you'd have guys like Colin Klein, who nobody else wanted, and he's playing like a Heisman Trophy candidate. That That magic has run out a little bit over there in the Little Apple. And Baylor had their debacle, and so Baylor's no longer a national power. Oklahoma State's consistent under Coach Gundy, and Coach Gundy, thanks to Tennessee, got himself a nice raise, and you got the AD apologizing, and uh, everybody's buddy-buddy with Mike Gundy, and he got what he wanted. But I just don't know if I could ever see Oklahoma State getting over that final hump, and that's not a knock on Mike Gundy. It's just kind of where the program is, some of the inherent challenges that they have. So it's a it, to me it's an Oklahoma Texas West Virginia story and all three of those programs if the Big 12 is going to start getting a little more national respect and a little more inclusion in the playoff discussion uh, all three of those programs have to live up to the billing not just one or two in my estimation so uh, that's what I'm looking at four through ten TCU as you mentioned I love Gary Patterson he's always going to pull off an upset or two. I don't know if they have the horses to really compete for the conference crown this year. Oklahoma State loses Rudolph. Iowa State, we mentioned K-State, Baylor, Texas Tech, Kansas, just too limited. So uh, a, a three-dog horse, but those are, th- excuse me, a, a three-dog race, but those are three pretty good dogs that the Big 12 has this year if they live up to the billing, if Oklahoma finds the magic at quarterback, if Texas gets a defense, if West Virginia plays better defense, then who knows? It could be a... Uh, kind of an upstart year for the conference, which does not have a ton of marquee out-of-conference games. You mentioned the Tennessee game. West Virginia should spank Tennessee. Uh, UCLA is at Oklahoma on September the 8th. That should be a win for Oklahoma. Other than that, I mean, I don't – Mississippi State at Kansas well, State. Uh, what am I missing there, Jason? Uh, USC at Texas week three. It, yeah, September 15th. Good yeah. call. Yes. Uh, and that is that. That's a huge one. There's no doubt about that. That that's a big. That's a big game for both. And we'll talk yeah. Pac-12 later. That's a big game for both of those conferences. And uh, all right, so so I got three quick things, and then we could move on from the Big 12, which is probably my least favorite conference. But uh, I I couldn't tell. Nah, I mean, I, look, I, I've got ton of a ton of respect for all the fans of the schools out there and the programs. I just you know it's just not my thing for the style of play, and I think. Uh, I think it's fun and exciting, but it gets overhyped. But l- listen to Texas's schedule. All right, we're going to find out about Texas soon. And uh, to add to your point, I-, I think with Tom Herman's offense, if he gets back to calling plays, which he did at the end of last year, which I think would be smart, it is a power-running-based spread attack, similar to what Urban Meyer ran at Florida, Dan Mullen runs, all that. That's a, that's a modern enough system, I think, in the Big 12 to still put a lot of points on the board. But but it's not something that, you know, you see like you like like Kingsbury's running at Texas Tech or like Baylor used to run with Art Bryles uh, or what Lincoln Riley runs at Oklahoma. So I think with the ground game and the defense, you know, maybe Texas is that team. I've always felt that way. It's going to be up to Texas and Oklahoma to decide that they're not going to be like Art Bryles era Baylor which is what happened. You know, Baylor started – all of a sudden, TCU's – everybody's running tempo because of what Baylor did. Um, in a league like this, Texas and Oklahoma should set the standard. Anyway, back to Texas's schedule. September 1st, at Maryland. Maryland beat them in Austin last year. 
Maryland's actually recruited pretty well under DJ Durkin. They had massive catastrophic injuries at quarterback. That's a tricky opener. I think the Longhorns go up there and win because of what happened last year. They're going to be on their toes. But still. All right, so then Tulsa comes to town, which, you know, Texas should win that, but Tulsa could outscore teams sometimes. Then SC. Then TCU comes to Austin. Then Texas goes to Manhattan, Kansas, which has been a house of horrors for the Longhorns over the years. Uh, Really, playing Kansas State general has been tough for Texas. And then the Oklahoma game. So, so there's really, you know, Baylor is October 13th. So until Baylor comes to Austin, Texas, Daryl Royal Stadium on October 13th, you know, there's a lot of tricky games. You know, Tulsa's probably the one that you'd sit there and go, definite win, but you never know. So, so, so this could be a deal where, you know, if Texas go, wins nine in the regular season, which, are, of course, Texas fans don't want to win just nine, you know, it's a pretty good year just because th- this is a brutal schedule, you know, particularly with how the conference starts with TCU coming to town at Kansas State and then the game in Dallas against Oklahoma. Uh, you mentioned David Sill uh, from West Virginia, it, and, and this is a recruiting story. This kid was the seventh-grade kid from Delaware that committed to Lane Kiffin out at SC early um, as a quarterback. And what was unfortunate about it was – by the time he got to be a junior in high school, he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn with the ball. Uh, so here's why you don't take players that are in seventh grade <laughs> at quarterback <laughs> as a commitment. Football is not basketball. In basketball, you can kind of judge beyond a reasonable doubt a kid's skill level. You know, he can dribble, he can shoot. You know, you can kind of determine that if you're in seventh grade. Football is developmental. So so I thought that was stupid to take him that early. Uh, I felt sorry for the kid because you know, he had some folks around him that were trying to coach him up that kind of messed up his throw. Um, but I want to say this. I'm exceptionally happy that he has found a home on a football field and is still playing football. Because what happens to child prodigy actors, Mike? It typically doesn't go well. Have you seen Macaulay Coughlin lately? Have you seen him? I had, uh, ironically enough, I got a car wash the other day, and, and Todd Bridges was working the uh, the interior <laughs> of my my Audi. And, I, you know, I loved him on different strokes, but I, I did feel bad. I, I, I slipped him a good tip for the effort. But, yeah, it's been it, it's been a rough go-around. I mean, these guys look like hell, you know? I mean, they had their lives. In, I mean, so this is the, the, the equivalent of that. Um, and, and this kid said, okay, I'm going to still make something out of it. In the Cactus Bowl in 2016, seven, you know, he had a game-winning touchdown reception. Um, and last year was just an outstanding player and, and probably could be an all-Big 12 type of guy. Kennedy McCoy, the running back you mentioned, another example of why it's smart to recruit the Carolinas. He's from Lexington, North Carolina. You know, I noticed this kid. He was a three-star guy, not a lot of – uh, hype six foot two hundred one, but you know what people didn't realize was at camps time and time again, Kennedy McCoy was a four five four four forty guy. I don't know, you know. Hey, hello, North Carolina. Hello, NC State. Hello, Wake Forest. I mean, hello, East. I mean, you know, you know, this kid go to West Virginia. I'm not saying East Carolina could have beaten the Mountaineers on him, but you know that that's the kind of resourceful recruiting that West Virginia is known for. I, I thought they were going to have a little more trouble with it 
once they transition to the Big 12 because they used to go to South Florida so much and, and get guys, and, and the Big 12 just doesn't resonate down there. Uh, but West Virginia, credit them for continuing to piece together a great roster year in and year out that can play their kind of football. Looking forward to definitely seeing them this year. I think it'll be interesting, and just to clean something up, the, the Sooners – Technically, they've won three straight Big 12 titles. They've won 11 overall. The Big 12 is still relatively new, but uh, they've certainly been the kings of late, and they proved that they could do it without Bob Stoops last year. You know, Lincoln Riley very quietly, just they didn't miss a beat. Now, obviously, Lincoln's going to be tested a little bit more because you don't have that coach on the field with, with Baker Mayfield anymore, and obviously he meant a ton to that program. Big 10. Now, this conference has got a little more going for it right now in terms of quality depth. Some people think that this is, J.C., the best overall conference, including the SEC, just based on the depth. If you if you go from top to bottom, even though almost everybody's picking Ohio State to win it, uh, if you look at, break it down in divisions, you could make an argument that the Big Ten East is the best, maybe better than the SEC West when you have Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State. That one through four is pretty doggone solid. And you already talked about Maryland. They're fifth uh, in all the polls. And then, you know, every every division, every league's got the bottom, and theirs is Indiana and Rutgers uh, in the Eastern Division. And then, of course, you know, there's Wisconsin. I, I, Wisconsin over there in the West, I, I liken them to, like, Ed Norton. I mean, every time Ed Norton's in a movie, he gives a commanding performance but he's just never going to win the Oscar. He's been, you know, he's been nominated a couple of times. When I see Ed Norton on the on the credits or on a trailer, I'm going to watch the movie. And even if it's a, a, a less than stellar script, I know he's going to deliver. And I know Wisconsin's going to deliver. But I also know Ed Norton's never going to win an Oscar. And I'm not sure if Wisconsin's ever going to win a national championship or even play for one. Uh but they're they're I mean they're great. Like I pull for Wisconsin. I love what they do there. I love what they're able to achieve there. They've always got great running backs. This year's no exception. Overachieving quarterbacks, uh, guys on defense that are sneaky good. But there there's always that ceiling. And some would say there's a ceiling on a number of the of the good teams in this league. The teams that don't have a ceiling: Ohio State, obviously, Penn State. And at some point, I think you and I are in agreement, Jim Harbaugh is going to get it done in Ann Arbor. The question will be, is this the year? But sizing up the, the conference as a whole, what excites you about the Big Ten this season? I think it's the best conference in college football right now. Uh, no offense to the SEC, um, you know, as far as the depth goes. But, and, and, and look, SEC fans, the reason I say that is because there's, you know, we had some transition in the Big Ten last year. Um, with guys like Brom getting to Purdue, you know, PJ Flex relatively new at Minnesota, um, Michigan State two years ago bottomed out at three and nine, and then they came right back. Um, and, and this is kind of a transitional year uh, in the, in the SEC when you you think about all the new coaches. So you just you just don't know. I'm not saying that you line them up one through fourteen that the SEC doesn't take you know, eight of those suckers, because I think they would. But um, I think as far as proven teams and, and the competitiveness of this league, it's the deepest uh, conference in college football. The Big Ten East, to me, is the best division in college football this year. Um, the SEC West normally takes that crown. 
I, I think that they have two of the best teams in the country in Alabama and Auburn. You've got a team with great potential in Mississippi State. Uh, you've got an LSU, which is kind of an enigma, and a Texas A&M, which is kind of an enigma. And then Ole Miss and Arkansas are kind of, um, you know, in, in transition. Uh, you know, I, I think when you look at this, the top four, I mean, it's going to be a bloodbath. And, and kind of like what happened last year with the Big Ten missing the playoff, Mike, these teams could cut each other, you know, and, and miss the playoff again, even though they may be, you know, two or the – Two of them, maybe two of the best teams in college football. I'm buying Ohio State. Dwayne Haskins, to me, uh, when I scouted him as a recruit, special, special player, has a cannon for an arm. Big, tall kid that can also run, just like Urban Meyer. Like I think they're going to take a step up at quarterback. You know, JT Barrett was electric and outstanding as a younger player. After the injuries, never quite got back there. Uh, and, and I'm not saying he wasn't good. I'm just saying that, Dwayne Haskins could be a, a difference maker. Then you have Tate Martell there as well. Um, Michigan, their problem last season wasn't coaching, wasn't Harbaugh. It was that they did not have a quarterback. Wilton Spate was here's here here's here's a I'm, I'm gonna throw up the bat signal for you, Michigan fans. When you go to Virginia and you take a quarterback, and Virginia and Virginia Tech are like, eh. Don't know. You know, that should tell you something. It was a miracle what Jim Harbaugh got out of Wilton Spate. Okay, I, I think. Because uh, he just was never that good, never that impressive. Okay at times, never that impressive. Um, you know, and then you got John O'Corn and Brandon Peters, who I, I think has some promise, but really was not ready to go out there and play. Well, all that's changed with the arrival of Shea Patterson. And not only is Shea Patterson – you know, very, very good at throwing the football. Um, he can also run. And, and and when he first transferred there, Mike, I, I kind of had a scheme question. I was like, well, Harbaugh's kind of a pro-style guy. Patterson's kind of a spread kid. He, you know, he runs. But then I, I started thinking that, you know, Jim Harbaugh did coach Colin Kaepernick <laughs> uh, to the Super Bowl uh, with the 49ers. And last time I checked, Colin Kaepernick can do things with his legs as well. You know, Penn State, I think they've been really close. How's life going to be without Saquon Barkley and without Joe Moorhead dialing up the ball plays? I don't know. I, I tend to think they're going to be very good. Um, you know, maybe take us a, a little step back, but maybe not. Uh, and then Michigan State just keeps on humming. They had a little bump in the road, but it was like a, a, a car getting a flat tire. Um, you know, I mentioned Maryland. They've been recruiting pretty well. Uh, Indiana is good for four or five wins a year these days. And then, of course, there's Rutgers, who's, you know, I, I have a lot of friends that are Rutgers fans, and, I, and my heart breaks for them because they are in the abyss right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, over in the West, the West to me is a little more intriguing because you have Scott Frost arriving at Nebraska. Um people say, well, he may not have the personnel to run his system. Well, you know what? He UCF was 0-12 before he got there. <laughs> and he was only there two years. Uh, so how long is it really going to take uh, in this division? Probably not long. you got P.J. Flex still at Minnesota. Uh, Northwestern is always very good. You know, uh, Pat Fitzgerald is one of the best coaches in the country that nobody ever talks about. Um, everybody's going to kind of get on the Jeff Brom bandwagon because it's exciting and fun to watch. 
I think Purdue will be solid. Uh, I'm reading a prediction now that says they're going to finish ahead of Northwestern and Nebraska. I'm not so sure about that. Um, Iowa should be Iowa, uh, and they're going to be really good uh, on the offensive line. Uh, they're going to be good in the defensive backfield, um, you know, and should be very, very competitive. And then you mentioned Wisconsin, who's, you know, consistently very, very good. Jonathan Taylor, the next great Wisconsin Badger running back, Mike, uh, coming down that thing. I mean, outside of Georgia, Wisconsin produces as good a running backs as anybody in the country. Uh, on, a yeah, year, on a yearly basis, I can't think of the last time that they were like, oh, man, Wisconsin doesn't have a running back. You right. know, because they just stack them on top of each other, on top of each other. I think kids go there because they know they're going to get carries. And, um, you know, they don't necessarily go and get the five-star type of guys. You know, I, I, and so I think that, um, you know, hats off to Wisconsin for what they accomplished. But, um, you know, had to pick a winner in the West. It would be it would be the Badgers. And I'd have to – I'd probably go with Ohio State in the East. But watch out for Michigan. Something just tells me that Harbaugh's sick of sitting around listening to the hot seat talk and all that. He has a quarterback. Um, they're going to be good on the offensive line once they kind of figure some things out. I mean, when's the last time Michigan had a terrible offensive line? Defensively stacked, one of the best units in the country. Um, you know, Michigan could very easily win uh, if they can get the big game at the end of the year down there in Columbus. If you're like me and you believe there is a better than decent chance that the Pac-12 and the Big 12 could be on the outside looking in of a four-team playoff, then you believe there's a strong possibility the Big 10 could get two teams in the playoff. And you could even have a situation where two teams from the same division get in the playoff. That, that Big 10 East, whoever does not win it, is still going to have a really good resume at the end of the year. Uh, and, and they could wind up sneaking in as a number two team in a four-team playoff. Because, I, you know, Washington could be humbled in week one against Auburn. And that just crushes the Pac-12. Because I don't see anybody else from the Pac-12 that's, that's playoff bound. And the Big 12, you know, look, if, if Oklahoma doesn't get good, not good, really good quarterback play, um, then all of a sudden you have to wonder, does the Big 12 have a team that's going to finish in the top four? I, I, I think there's a good chance we could see a couple of teams uh, from one conference again getting in. And that gets everybody in an uproar. But, uh, look, I, I maintain I'd love to see six or eight in the playoff. We're, no, we're nowhere near that. But I also maintain, even with a four-team playoff, I think they did get that part right where I, I don't subscribe to this where, well, if you win the conference championship, you automatically should be in the playoff. Not if it's a four-team playoff, folks. There, there's, there's a good chance the conference champion of a, big, of a Power 5 conference might be the 10th best team in college football, the 12th best team in college football some years. So I, I do think that that's, they got that part right, and I think that could benefit a league. We've seen it benefit the SEC, obviously. I think it could benefit the Big Ten this year. And the only other thing I would say to put a bow on, on the Big Ten part of the equation, well, two things. Number one, uh, Brom and Fleck, if they lead Purdue and Minnesota to bowl games this year, I would not be surprised if they're gone. Those are two guys to me that have a lot of spotlight on them have have done a good job at what was 
uh, well, I mean, Western Kentucky was not viewed as an unwinnable place, but what he did there was a dominating job. And you see the moment he left, now it's it's basically Elaine Kiffin FAU world in Conference USA. Uh, and, and, of course, P.J. Fleck in, in the MAC. I, I, I think both those guys could easily land bigger jobs if they're able to do good things. And when I say good, everything's relative. Good at Purdue and Minnesota, just get, just get six, seven wins and get to a bowl game. No one's expecting you to win the Western Division of the Big Ten this year. And the other thing is, and you hit on it, I am going to be – I don't think I've been this interested in Nebraska football since Tommy Frazier was quarterback and Lawrence Phillips was running back. And, you know, you had all those beasts on on defense with the Peter brothers. And I, I, I don't think I've been this intrigued by the story. OK, no, Nebraska does not have the kind of talent where they're going to compete even for a Big Ten championship. And, and Nebraska fans know that. But they got their prodigal son. And they got a guy who did the best coaching job in the last two years of anybody. 0-12 at UCF to an undefeated season and knocking off Auburn in a bowl game. Uh, that if, if ever there were a hire that was just a no-brainer, I mean, you can't get 100 people to agree on anything, right? If you polled 100 Nebraska fans, if there was one that didn't think that was the perfect hire, he would have been escorted out of the state lines by midnight. I mean, it was just it was perfect. But now here's the flip side of that equation. If he can't get it done, in let's say in five years, let's be generous, even though no one's that patient anymore. In five years of Scott Frost, if he can't get Nebraska to back back to where they're actually competing for conference championships and dare I say national championships, then I think the sad reality is for the Nebraska faithful is that you have to accept your spot in the new hierarchy of college football, that you are never going to be Tom Osborne, three national titles in four years in the 90s, not to mention all the history in the 70s and, and way back. I, you, have to, you have to acknowledge that that has gone away. I, I use the term a lot, volcano programs. So there are certain programs that I believe there's just so many – things they have going for them and so many advantages that even if they're down for a while, eventually that's going to erupt again. It's going to mount St. Helens in a, in a few years, and you can't keep it down forever even if you make terrible coaching hires. I don't think Nebraska is a volcano program. I, I don't think Nebraska is destined to be great again. And I, I this is not me you know, just hammering on Nebraska for the sake of hammering on. Great fans, great tradition, love it. I'd love to see Nebraska football back again. Love to see Nebraska being a power again. I hope we don't get uh, – college football is the best thing going. We all agree on that. But I hope we don't get to the point where it's the same five to ten schools competing for the playoff every year because, quite frankly, that gets a little bit boring in terms of the, the national storyline. We need some fresh blood, and we need some old blood to get back into powerful spots. I, I don't know if Nebraska is going to be there. They got the right guy. There's no doubt about it. But, man, it's going to be a hard dose of reality to take if even the best possible guy for that job can't get it to the next level. I, I, I think it's it's recruiting. And, uh, you know, the first issue with Nebraska is they're now in the Big Ten. And, and look, for your university, you know, for, you know, money-wise, for your athletic department, uh, even geographically, the Big Ten is, is a good spot for Nebraska. But, but what it did was, you know, it took them out of the Big 12 where, 
you know, they, they reached it when Colorado was in it as well. You know, you reached almost to the Rocky mountains with kind of <clears throat> your footprint. You reached down into Texas with your footprint. Um, you know, you had a natural rivalry with Oklahoma that you played. Uh, it was a big time game and, and all those things have just gone away. Now you're playing Iowa, I think on, um, Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, and that's, I think they, they hadn't played very often before they, they started hooking up. But I'll say this, the key to winning at Nebraska uh, and the recruiting plan there is the same recruiting plan. And, and I'm not even sure that we saw Scott Frost's recruiting plan at UCF. He's only there two years. Okay, you've got to go be resourceful. You've got to hit as many junior colleges as, as you can to find speed to get it on the field. You have to go and be like West Virginia. I mentioned West Virginia being very resourceful in their recruiting. You have to go to South Florida, go out to California, go down to Texas. You know, you're right in the middle of the country. You have great facilities, great fans, and you're running an exciting offense. You know, that that tier of guys that you have access to, uh, you can get. And then what you do with those guys is you coach them up. And you outcoach everybody. And, and it's not going to be that hard with your style of play in that division. I mean, think about it, Mike. In that division, you do have Purdue, who's pretty exciting um, as far as their offense goes. Wisconsin's ground and pound. Iowa's going ground and pound. Minnesota kind of grounds and pounds, um, although it's more of a spread type of deal. Uh, You know, that thing that Scott Frost runs, that's a little bit different. Um, And if you can get enough players to where you're you're kind of – like Baylor did at at, – in the Big 12, to where you're kind of changing up how people are like, whoa, wait a minute, these guys are just, you know, they're tough to stop. Then the, le- the the visibility of your program comes back. And then it's easier to go sell that five-star over there in Kansas City or St. Louis, which is a place that Nebraska historically has recruited well, and say, don't go to the SEC and play for Missouri or Alabama. Come up to Lincoln and help us win a national championship. And I think I think it's just going to be a process with them. I saw a prediction with them at 6-6. Six and six. I'd be surprised if they went 6-6 six and six this year. I think they'll do a little better. And I think they'll pull some upsets. Um, you're right. They're not ready to win a Big Ten championship. But I think that, that his style of play and, and how he coaches and sort of what Nebraska is right now and what they could become – uh, could revolutionize that division and, and really present some problems for the big boys from the East in Indianapolis in some years. Not probably not like I said, not gonna probably not gonna happen now. But mm-hmm. uh, I think in a couple of years we'll see it and we'll sit there and some kid will you know have seventy five catches for <laughs> for Nebraska and we'll go who some court <laughs> some quarterback from. An Arizona junior college will come in and set the world on fire. It, it it's going. I feel like it's going to happen for them. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I think they're going to eventually with with the right players. Scott Frost will get his kind of quarterback, uh, and he will get his kind of skill players, and they will put points on the board. I just wonder if we're ever going to see those nasty type defenses that we saw in the heyday of, of the Osborne years. And I that's I have a problem seeing that. Yeah. It, it's probably yeah. not going to happen, I, and I, and I think again their style of play is going to be where it's not going to be, um, you know they're not going to be a defensive mind. I mean Nebraska football is going to change, uh, and they're not going to be a defensive minded type team. But 
you know, heck, you never know. I, I think you do have to play some defense in the Big Ten, regardless of what you do on offense. But, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. So that that uh, gives a look at the Big Ten. Again, could it be a very uh, big year for that conference? That conference is on solid ground. Yeah, your your bell cow programs are on solid footing with coaches. I think uh, it, it's a huge year for Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. A lot of people, I'll just say this to, to wrap it up on, on Michigan and Harbaugh. There's a lot of people that are really taking joy at taking shots at Jim Harbaugh. And I get it. He's brash and he's, he's cocky and he's got that personality for he rubs a lot of people the wrong way. But I think some of the criticism, quite frankly, is, is really over the top. I mean, you, you would think the guy is just completely spit the bit in Ann Arbor as if he was given the keys to a Lamborghini and he turned it into a Dodge Dart. That's not been reality. Uh, it hasn't been that bad. He has not had a quarterback. Uh, it was not a great situation when he took over. And, you know, they have competed against Ohio State. They just haven't won. It's not like they're getting boat raced every time they play Ohio State. So some of that, um, and I'm talking about national media now for the most part, because there's a lot of national media. They just kind of cherry pick the top headlines in the sport of college football, and then they ignore everything else that's going on. And Jim Har- Harbaugh is a headline grabber, and they just kind of feel like it's it's fun. It's a little little comeuppance time for old khaki pants, and we're just going to go ahead and bludgeon him every time they lose a game or two. I, I, I think Michigan will be fine with Jim Harbaugh. Uh, and Harbaugh with Michigan, Meyer with Ohio State, Franklin with Penn State, D'Antoni with Michigan State, and of course now Scott Frost with Nebraska. I feel pretty good about the top of the uh, head coaching, and I already mentioned the two guys who I love, who I think are going to be bolting soon in, in Brom and Fleck, but I'm not sure if there's ever been uh, a better year top to bottom now in terms of depth and, and quality coaches in the Big Ten Conference. So it, it's... It should be a banner year in the Big Ten. I would not be surprised if they somehow get two in the playoff. The Pac-12, I'd be shocked if they got two in the playoff. I'm not even sure if they're going to get one. Uh, love Coach Peterson and Washington. Clay Helton is going to be continue to be scrutinized at Southern Cal. Utah's always an overachieving team. Stanford under Coach Shaw, you can pretty much take it to the bank. They're going to win at least 8-9. Uh, and then, you know, Arizona with Tate. Oregon trying to get back to what Oregon was. And then when you start going to the second half, it's, you know, it's Cal, it's UCLA with Chip Kelly. That's obviously intriguing, but I don't think they're ready to make a move yet. Washington State, Colorado, Oregon State, Arizona State, uh, teams that aren't going to factor a whole lot in the national landscape. But when you size up the Pac-12, J.C., I mean, I have to think Washington has to lead the way here. Otherwise, it could be a disappointing season out west. Yeah, and I think that makes that game in Atlanta with between the Huskies and the um, Auburn Tigers huge uh, when we head into the um, you know into the season. I think USC Texas is going to be a huge game as well. You know, just talking to some people out there, you know, Oregon is probably about a year away from from getting on a talent level getting back. They do have an excellent quarterback uh, right now, and then they have a younger one, Tyler Show, just got there, who's going to be good. Oregon recruited five offensive linemen last year, Mike, that averaged six five three forty. 
I mean, these guys are – Mario Cristobal knows a thing or two about big dominant offensive lines from his time at Alabama. Um, and he's uh, he's got some horses up there, and then they'll have the speed that they have. I think Oregon will be back here in a couple of years. Talking to some people out there, I think it may be sooner rather than later. But, yeah, in the north, Washington is obviously the class. Um, you know, you have Stanford, who's always really solid. Um, you know, they've gone from – winning 10 or 11 every year to winning nine or 10, eight or nine. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, it's intriguing to look at, at Chip Kelly at UCLA to see how he puts it together. You know, I, 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 I don't know what Herm Edwards is going to do at Arizona state. I know that, <laughs> I know that Kevin Sumlin will probably be very, very solid at Arizona with what he's going to try to do, especially with Khalil Tate at quarterback. Uh, Utah is kind of a, a Stanford-esque type of program to where they're very, very solid, not quite at the level of the Cardinal, but uh, they're there. Um, you know, so I, I, I think the Pac-12, I continue to maintain, they have a lot of potential. Um, and, and I do think that you look around at some of the programs in the league and, and there is light at the end of the tunnel. And there is a potential for some of these teams to, to, to be better you know, earlier than expected. And that's problematic for the league because that means, hey, an Oregon may upset an SC. Uh, or, uh, you know, some team that Washington, you know, I think, I don't know if Washington plays Arizona or not. I don't have the schedule in front of me. But a contender like a Washington has to go to Tucson and gets ambushed. And then everybody knocks everybody out. Um, and, and then that costs the, the league a, a playoff uh, berth. It, really, when we're talking about the playoffs, for a conference, if you're looking to put teams in the playoff, unless you're the SEC uh, or even the Big Ten, and the perception is that you're this big, powerful, deep league, or, or you have, you know, teams that you know knock each other off, and that's all that you know, one one loss team, one undefeated team, you know, you're you're almost better off as a league to have one dominant team than to have any sort of depth or balance, you know, and the Pac-12 just doesn't have that, you know, I, and I think Washington is really good. Jake Browning, really, really good player. Um, I think SC, which may have to start a freshman at quarterback, has enough talent to compete with anybody in the country. Uh, and that that's JT Daniels, by the way. Look out for him. He's, he's going to be yeah. a special player. Um, so so it, it's just it's one of those things where I think as a whole, if you're the Pac-12, you want Washington to beat Auburn in Atlanta, which is going to be tough because – the, the, there's going to be it's going to be like a game at Jordan Hare Stadium. It's a home folks. game, yeah, There's no question. Um, it's going to be tough, uh, or at least play them close and then run through the Pac-12 uh, if you want the Huskies or, or anybody from your league to make it in. I, I I don't see SC with the transition at quarterback making it through their schedule with one loss or less. Um. I think it's a, I think it's a Washington world. We're all living in it this year. But I will say there are some programs that I have my eye on, yeah, maybe 2019, 2020-ish that are going to come back because they always do in that league. Every team in that league has been good at one point or another. Yeah, I guess, and that's kind of a feather in its cap when you think about it. Um, who knows? Maybe Colorado one day will get back to some uh, uh, prosperity. Those, those were the golden days. Of course, back then they were in the – the Big 12 or the Big 8 or what have you. Uh, I think Kevin Sumlin's a perfect fit for Arizona as, as far as Arizona can go. I have no idea what to expect from Herm Edwards. 
Uh, this this hire is either going to look like really outside the box of creative thinking by the AD, or it's going to be a joke. And and he's going to be done in like two years, and everybody's going to say, "What were you thinking?" For a program that certainly doesn't have to, you know, roll the dice. Arizona State has great facilities. I've been there. I've taken a tour through their uh, stadium and complexes. The the, the Pat Tillman. Uh, upgrades that, that that they have made there, they're they're terrific. It's a program that does have some tradition uh, that has done well in, in the past in that league. So th- that hire to me is still a head scratcher. I know Herm Edwards is one of the most likable people, and so because of that, when you're likable, I, I've always said like if you're going to be bad at what you do, at least be likable. If you're going to be uh, unlikable, be really good at what you do. Well, Herm Edwards has got the likability part already. And the media will love him, and I think they'll treat him with kind of kid gloves. But at some point, it's still about winning, and, and I just <laughs> I have no idea what to expect out of that um, because it's great to come go on a press conference or go out on a podium and say you play to win the game, and that, that gives some people some goosebumps, but that does nothing to help you win football games as a head coach. Uh, the, the, the assistant coaches that he's going with, Kind of a creative way of, of attacking that job, if you will. Uh, that to me is fascinating. And of course, Chip Kelly at UCLA is the most. If this is another one, maybe not to the extent of Scott Frost at Nebraska, where if he doesn't get it done, you have to wonder if Nebraska is ever going to, you know, get close to where they were under the heyday of, of Coach Osborne. Um, but if Chip Kelly can't take what most people consider a perennial underachieving program for decades in UCLA, if he can't do it. Who can? Because Chip Kelly, while a lot of people have forgotten just how good he was at Oregon, look it up. Look up the record. Look up what Oregon was before Chip Kelly. Uh, Look up what they've been since Chip Kelly. You want to say he wasn't a great NFL coach? I don't think he was a terrible NFL coach, frankly. I think think he got sold out by LaShawn McCoy and uh, almost got blackballed in a way to where it was nearly impossible for him to succeed. But nevertheless... The guy, the guy can flat out coach college football. Uh, I don't know if it's a great fit. I don't know if his recruiting is going to be great at UCLA. Uh, JC, you'll be able to track that much better than than most people out there. But uh, but that's a that's a super intriguing not year one, uh, but maybe like 2019 2020 when we're talking about UCLA and Chip Kelly. I'll be fascinated to see where they're at. Yeah, me too. Uh, same thing with uh, Sumlin in Arizona, although I, I do – I recognize the fact that for the second straight job, Kevin Sumlin's gotten, he inherits um, what could be a Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback mm-hmm. in Khalil Tate. But, um, yeah, and, and look, right now Oregon uh, is kind of getting under UCLA's skin a little bit through the transition. They, they signed 13 players out of Southern California last year. A lot of them UCLA wanted, uh, and the Ducks are kind of rolling that way again. Um, and, and if I if I'm UCLA, that that's the school that you know because you're both kind of down, okay? And you both you know, UCLA hasn't really been great in a long, long time. Oregon was great just you know five, six, seven years ago. Um, you know, if I'm Chip Kelly, my former school is the school I'm putting on my bullseye in recruiting. Oregon has to come to Southern Cal to get players. They have to come to L.A. to get players. And if you're UCLA, 
you don't want to worry about an out of, you know, some school a thousand miles up the coast uh, coming in and stealing all your recruits. If you lose some to SC, that's fine. But but you got to keep the L.A. talent in L.A. Uh, I think there are enough athletes there that Chip Kelly can plug into his system and, and be, be very, very good. Um, it, it's culture. It, it's culture at UCLA. We, we talked about Tennessee, Jeremy Pruitt, the need for him to kind of change the culture there, and we're going to talk about Pruitt here in a second. But, but UCLA for years has needed to change the culture of their football program. Talent has never been an issue. Um, they play in one of the most historic stadiums uh, in the country. The branding with that athletic department in general is, is, is as good as it gets. You're in L.A. I mean, you know, the, the campus is even like in a nicer place um, in terms of, you know, beautiful babies 10 miles from your camp, you know, mm-hmm. right outside the campus that, than SC is, which is kind of over in another part of town. So, man, look, you got a lot going for you. Uh, you just got to put it all together, and 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 Chip Kelly is kind of a hard nosed coach, despite his, uh, you know, fin- an offense which is a little bit finesse. So if anybody can do it, he can. Um, and we'll just see kind of how that goes. Well, we shall. But another interesting year in the Pac-12, no doubt about that. All right, so we've covered the entire Power Five. There's a couple of um, loose ends I, I want to tie up in the remaining time for this week's podcast. We didn't touch on it last week because we had too many other things to cover. Uh, I want to circle back to Aaron Murray's comments on Jeremy Pruitt at uh, SEC Media Days. Aaron Murray, former Georgia quarterback, of course, played for Mark Richt, uh, had a really good career at the University of Georgia and is now kind of um, playing his uh, uh, hand in, in radio. And he's going to be doing some satellite radio. He's already been doing some shows. And so sometimes when you do that, it, it helps when you make some intriguing comments. Uh, Aaron came. He, he, he had bullets in the gun when he went to uh, Atlanta to discuss what his opinions were of Jeremy Pruitt, who, of course, was a former coordinator under Mark Rick to Georgia. And it's well documented. That relationship was a, uh, was a little bit troublesome at times. Jeremy Pruitt did not exactly mesh well with uh, Mark Richt, which is unusual to hear because Mark Richt seems to be like one of the easiest guys on the planet to get along with in, in any context. But nevertheless, that was the case. And so this created a buzz because, as we always discuss, media days for any conference produces very little in the way of headlines or fresh new content, fresh, hot-hitting news so we cling to anything like this that we can get, right? I mean, you just like, oh, my gosh. So everybody just went haywire over this, and what does it mean? And uh, is, is this fair? Is it unfair? What is, how does this affect Tennessee? I mean, to me, I'm not going to say it's a non-story, but I don't think it has any bearing on Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. I, I know what Jeremy Pruitt's reputation is, uh, and, and I know that, I keep making the Will Muschamp analogy because to me that's what this hire is. It's it's the first time that Will Muschamp got a head coaching job, uh, and it's either going to look like Will Muschamp at Florida, Tennessee is hoping it looks more like Will Muschamp at South Carolina, and Will Muschamp had to had to change some things in his second go around as a head coach. Well, Jeremy Pruitt, it's his first go around as a head coach, but he has to change some things. He has to modify some of his behavior. Uh, if you don't and you don't evolve. That can be troublesome uh, for anybody in any walk of life, you could say. So 
I, I, to me, JC, I, I looked at it and I just shrugged my shoulder and said, eh, uh, I mean, I don't really care. Jeremy's got a lot bigger things to, to worry about. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be a success at Tennessee. I don't know if he's going to be a failure. I truly don't pretend that I have a good feel on this. When I put my finger on the pulse of this hire, I know it, it, because the, it was such a debacle of a process and, and so grueling, uh, I think Tennessee fans were so relieved to get out of the embarrassing headlines. And it was like, okay, yeah, good hire. And, and it was a good hire. But I don't know if it's going to work. And, and Aaron Murray's comments didn't change my opinion on the hire one bit. Yeah, not me either. I mean, look, Aaron Murray had his opinion about things and uh, – David Pollock ha- had some things to say about it as well. And uh, Georgia folks are Georgia folks. And if they played for Mark Rick, there's a lot of loyalty there towards that man. And rightfully so, because he is a great man and a great coach. Um, and I-, I don't think that, you know, s- some people speculated maybe it was, oh, you know, they're worried about Pruitt building Tennessee. I, I don't think Georgia's – I don't think that's it. I think it was a situation where – you know, some things were said internally at Georgia. Uh, and then with the, you know, the the headlines about Pruitt being the next coach at Tennessee and talking about it at media days. Oh, well, by the way, let me tell you about this guy. Um, and look, Jeremy Pruitt is not paid to be, you know, Mr. Nice Guy. He, he's, not, he's paid to win football games and to coach to the best of his ability. And football is a passionate game and sometimes you butt heads. Um, especially with the head coach. And I, and I think that, you know, anytime you're passionate about stuff, uh, emotions can, can erupt, um, you know. And, and I think that, you know, with regards to Pruitt, some things I've read, you know, he, he was just trying to, you know, make Georgia's defense and Georgia as a team the, the best they could possibly be. And obviously that wasn't, uh, that wasn't something that was really working. Um, so I, I, I think that uh, – I think he'll be fine at Tennessee. You know, I, I think that Tennessee, once again, institutionally, they, they've they've overscheduled because they do it every – seems like every time they have a coaching change, oh, all right, so you're, you're playing Alabama cross division as normal, uh, and you got an LSU or Auburn as your other cross division team, all the teams from the east. And, oh, and by the way, we, we've scheduled West Virginia or Oregon or, you know, Georgia Tech or – some special preparation out of conference game. Why? I mean, this. I mean, I remember Derek Dooley uh, and Butch Jones both had to play Oregon in the non-conference one year. I think Dooley had to play Oregon, LSU, and Alabama. Yeah. I mean, but now you, you, you know, I, I understand. I know what you're saying, and I don't disagree with you. But you know the why. The why is they figure in order for them to be a national program that can recruit nationally, they can't just play eight conference games and four sisters of the poor. So they, they've been doing that going back to Fulmer. I agree with you. It's over scheduling. Yeah. Course, oh yeah. We, you know, of course, as we know, these things are signed years in advance. And typically the guy who lands on his plate is not the guy that sat there in that meeting room to, to put it on there, but that's just been Tennessee's way. And look, when they were, when they were good and they were winning 10 games a year, it made sense. Now, I wonder if they will. I wonder if old Phil Fulmer, when they're sitting there and they're fielding phone calls about who they're going to be playing out of conference in 2022 and 23, 
if maybe they peel back. I'd buy I'd buy out some of these games. And, and yes, I, I know th- these are scheduled 10 years in advance, and sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. But once my program – it's been about 10 years since they've gone south. Once I started going south, I would have been like, eh, let's uh, – Let's let's look at this game. Are we really going to be? I mean, yeah. And I guess the hope is you, you'll be back and ready to roll by, you know, five years from now. That's what everybody hopes. But man, it's just when Alabama is your cross division permanent opponent, and the, with the way they're rolling right now, no pun intended. Um, you know, I just, I just, man, West Virginia as the opener. I mean, this is going to be a team that, you know, really is going to benefit. I think from those next two games. I think it's East Tennessee State and Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Those are going to be perfect, perfect. Yeah. You know, and look, man, if if you want to go schedule, like Auburn scheduled Kansas State, you're Tennessee. You want to go schedule Kansas State, or you want to you want to go out to Texas Tech because you recruit Texas, or man, play two for one with Houston. Have Houston come to Knoxville two years in a row, then go down there and play the Cougars. I mean, West Virginia, Oregon. Man, you know, even you know, and Georgia Tech, those kickoff games, obviously, you always take advantage of those. But man, I, I, I would run. I mean, they beat Georgia Tech, but I would, I would never schedule them. So anyway, barely, that's, barely, yeah, beat barely beat Georgia Tech. Tech. I, yeah. I would never schedule them. So anyway, that, that's just yeah. kind of my rant. And I, I feel bad for Pruitt because the first eight games are brutal, um, except for the you know, East Tennessee and Charlotte, and then, then you know, Missouri, Kentucky, Vandy. Tennessee can hang with those teams, so I I, I I don't know. But back to your point about Aaron Murray and David Pollock, I, I I didn't think much of it. I thought that it was you know a, a lot of hubbub for a while. I thought Pruitt handled it well, mm-hmm. um, and obviously you know there, there was there were some things that happened that caused a little of what we call butt hurt uh, with some Georgia players. <laughs> and, and hey, that, that butt butt hurt is part of football. But her mm-hmm. is part of football. Well, and as you mentioned, he handled it well. And if you're Jeremy Pruitt, you better develop some really, really thick skin because I'm not convinced that Tennessee fans have changed their opinion of where they should be in the national landscape. Uh, and I think most Tennessee fans think, well, if we would have gotten at least one of these three coaching hires right, we'd be right back where we were under Phil Fulmer and winning 10 games a year, and they kind of forget the dip that Phil Fulmer had. Like he, he wasn't just fired because he, you know, he wasn't a good tipper at Calhoun's. You know, he, he, things were starting to, go, starting to go south a little bit, and a lot of people thought it was a time for a change. I, I was less bothered than that by the three coaches they hired. And so now you feel like you got it right. Uh, but th- this is not going to be like a five-year plan. I don't think Tennessee fans view it that way. I think it's like, okay, year one is a mulligan. If Tennessee wins six and gets to some third-rate bowl game, that's progress. And you get your extra practice time, and uh, you go to whatever uh, whatever the, the, the 50,000 bowl games we're now up to. Tennessee could be in one of them. If they, if they win all the games they're supposed to and then lose all the games they're expected to, that's about what they are. They're about a six and six team. Uh, and then next year, though, I'm telling you, it, it's not going to be that. The expectations are not going to be that light. They're, they're they're just not. It's it's going to be like, okay, you you had your mulligan. Now now let's go. Because recruiting, you you tell me, JC, recruiting hasn't been that bad in Knoxville. Even with these three coaches, it's not as if Tennessee has just completely flubbed their way through recruiting process. I've seen some talent go through Knoxville the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, 
and I will say that with a caveat. Butch Jones numerically recruited well, a lot of four or five star guys, but bust city. Uh, and and for whatever reason, either they were injured, haven't lived up to their potential, haven't been coached up, uh, just had bad attitudes, were overrated in the recruiting process. Um, you know, so 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 there's there's that. I mean, I, I I don't. I think if you look at like their recruiting classes for the last four years and totaled it up, you'd be like, my goodness, Jeremy Pruitt's inheriting all this talent. No, he's not, because a lot of it's gone. Um. And he's going to ha- – I mean, you look at kind of how they're recruiting right now, Mike. Uh, it, it, there's a lot of junior college players, you know, and, and some good ones too. One of the top junior college linebackers in the country, two very good junior college defensive tackles. I mean, he he's trying to get instant help, and that's usually something um, – if you look at it, you know, that's something that, uh, that, that that is a sign that you have holes in your roster. Now, Now, look, I'll say this. 2019, listen to the schedule. Georgia State, BYU, which is their big non-conference game, Chattanooga, and UAB. Where's the BYU game at? It's in Knoxville. I know know some of the Mississippi schools, or or at least Mississippi State, some of them, uh, and I will never forgive any SEC program for scheduling a road game at BYU, which is just ridiculous. But um, I know Mississippi State went out there, and, and Tennessee may be going out there at some point. But, um, you know, but you look at 2019, the non-conference isn't that bad. No. You know, maybe, you know, you, you get some of these games at home, um, you know, in terms of uh, the conference. I don't know. Maybe it'd be, uh, yeah, Georgia and South Carolina come to Knoxville. Uh, you know, along with Vandy and Mississippi State, and then you go to Florida. So, 2019 Tennessee schedule is a little more manageable, I think, and that could be a breakout year. Yeah, I, I wonder if you poll Tennessee fans. Uh, look, rivalries, we love them. They're great for college football. Fans love them. But Tennessee-Alabama hasn't been much of a rivalry lately in terms of of, of any equity in it. It's It's been one-sided, and as you mentioned, it's a brutal mark on the schedule and then as we know the week after you play Alabama that that just makes your next game that much more difficult I wonder if Tennessee fans had a poll do you want to keep Alabama as your permanent interdivisional opponent I wonder how that would shape up if I was doing a show in Knoxville that'd be my poll question of the day on a slow August day (laughs) just to just to see take the the uh the pulse of, of the fan base on that one, because it, we all know how hated it is and how much venom is in that rivalry. But uh, what are you getting out of it? At some point, you got to look into that as well. And the six one one format, by the way, is, as we talked about, is not changing anytime soon in the SEC. That is going to be a conversation that continues to uh, be held nationally by a lot of folks who are very critical of the Southeastern Conference for not going to nine uh, like the Big 12 does, like the Big 10 does. But at the end of the day, the SEC is kind of shrugging its shoulders and going, um, okay, go ahead, criticize us. Guess who's got the most teams in the college football playoff every year? Uh, <laughs> I mean, we're not struggling with an eight-team with an eight team, uh, conference schedule. So that that's talked about this time of year all the time, and it's easy to take shots at the league for it. But I would just say keep in mind – it's easier to play an extra conference game when your conference isn't as good. 
when the schedule is, is not as tough. And, and right now, that could be said about many of the Power Five leagues. So we'll, we'll leave that at that. Before we uh, wrap things up on one other news note, I do want to mention one of our proud sponsors, BP Skinner Clothiers. They want you to look the best you can be. They know everybody is unique. Everybody's body is unique. Everybody's look is unique. So why just get something off the rack that's not going to make you look your very best? Whether you're looking for a custom look or a consultant to help you build your wardrobe, their team at BP Skinner is there to help. And as I mentioned so many times, this is not a deal where no matter where you're listening to us in the country, you have to say, oh, gosh, well, where do I go? They come to you. They're located in the Carolinas, but they come to you. Uh, they have done uh, work with some of the top coaches, players, uh, people in, in our profession, in the media, and, and, of course, everyday business people that just want to look their best. They're reasonably priced. You'll be surprised at how much better you look without having to spend that much more money. Uh, go ahead and check out the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Brent Skinner is the man with the plan to make you look your very best, and you will be so glad that you did. The uh, fall will be coming up uh, not too long from now. And you want to be make sure you've got the best uh, collection of clothing and suits and accessories and everything else that you have for that time of year. JC, just a couple things before we wrap things up. Uh, this is there was a time when coaches' salaries in college football were mentioned. You know, it, especially when it started getting in the the one million, two million, three million range, it would just be, oh my God, that's outrageous! How can you pay a college football coach that much money? And you know, you'd have the propeller heads of academia saying, well, that money would, would certainly be best used uh, on another library and you'd have um ill-advised and somewhat ignorant uh, people saying well uh, they should never spend tax dollars on a coach's salary which of course they don't that is it's just uh, fictitious that is all money raised by the athletic department and the athletic department uh, very often a lot of that money goes to academia so it's a win-win in a lot of ways but nick saban is over eight million dollars now signs of an extension. It doesn't even matter how many years, 10 years, 20 years, 30. We all know how this is going to go. He's going to be there as long as he wants to be there. Uh, and he's not going to leave for another college, certainly. And I think he's the NFL is that taste is out of his mouth. So uh, if you I guess in recruiting, if, if you were worried about negative recruiting and saying, well, you don't want to go there. He's in his late 60s. How much longer can he do it? Does it look like he's getting any? uh older in the way of fatigue or lack of passion for the job, J.C., and uh, if you wanted to know how what Alabama's commitment was to him staying well into his 70s, you got a sheet of paper that says it right now. Oh, yeah. There, there's no – look, Nick Saban, honestly, he doesn't really – I mean, you look at, like, his, his appearance, appearances with the media, his drive in recruiting, his drive on the sidelines. Um, he doesn't seem – like a guy heading into his seventies. Uh, and he said it, you know, he's like, well, I'm, I'm going to coach until I don't want to coach anymore. Um, and, and what's interesting, he said the same thing Steve Spurrier said towards the end of, of what Spurrier uh, Spurrier said this after he quit. He said, I can't imagine not being part of a team. I've been part of a team for my whole life. And Saban says the same thing. Uh, and these guys, you know, they, they've been part, I've been a part of a team the whole life, you know, my whole life. And, uh, that that's I think what you kind of miss when you hang it up, and you know with regards to Saban, you know he still a very sharp defensive mind. Uh, the guy could probably still call a defense better than anybody in the country. Uh, he's very good at developing and coaching players as far as you know teaching fundamentals and things like that. You 
you hear about his youth camps and and you know he he's out there coaching eight year olds as hard as he coaches his scholarship players, um, you know maybe with less language, <laughs> but uh, I mean you know he he's, he does doesn't there's no signs of sh- slowing down. I mean the, the the only thing he's kind of mentioned is he has grandchildren now, and and that's been a positive thing in his life. So so I I, I agree. I would have signed him to an extension too. Um, I, I think. If you're him, you you have a chance to break all sorts of championship records, and leave is the greatest of all time, and that's probably what he's you know what he's thinking. Yeah, some might say he's already there in terms of greatest of all time. I, I think the natural comparison you hit on one name Spurrier, you could also throw in Bobby Bowden, another. The difference between those two, first of all, Steve Spurrier never liked recruiting, never took thrill in it, always uh, found it to be kind of a nuisance. Uh, you know, it was. It, it was the devil in the detail of the job of being a head college football coach at a premier level. Uh, he got by with it, but but was never passionate about it. Nick obviously is, takes pride in evaluating talent, uh, takes pride in, in going and winning those battles much more than a Steve Spurrier ever, ever did. Bobby Bowden certainly loved recruiting, and when Bobby came in, home, came in your home and talked to Mama, uh, Mama usually was convinced that her son should be a Seminole, but Bobby Bowden toward the end was was really nothing more than a delegator when it came to game day coaching I mean, he had mickey andrews and he had a a plethora of of very qualified offensive coordinators that went on to bigger and better things as head coaches and bobby bowden's job was to sit there on the sideline and when it came down to fourth and one uh, are we going to go for it or are we going to punt or are we going to run a trick play uh, i don't sense any of those issues with nick saban <clears throat> nick saban is still a relentless recruiter still hands-on on every facet of everything, seems to enjoy every aspect of the job. And even when he's on the surface annoyed by the media, anybody who's played for him, like a Greg McElroy or somebody else, would tell you that's that's him just playing the media to get to his players. Uh, it, it's all part of the game that is Nick Saban. So, yeah, I... <laughs> It might be bad news for SEC fans, but I don't see him leaving anytime soon. I, I, I think he's got at least another five years uh, of doing this job and doing it well before he hangs it up, and I don't think he's going to leave it in the same spot that Bobby did Florida State, that Steve did South Carolina. I think he's going to leave it in pretty doggone good shape that whoever gets that job, here's the keys. Mm-hmm. There's a real nice shiny car waiting for you in the garage. <laughs> Take it and go. Yeah, I say that all the time. It's it, you know, Look at Les Miles. Uh, he benefited from what Saban did at yep. LSU in only, what, five years. So, I mean, mm-hmm. if you're talking about a decade and a half of Nick Saban at Alabama, I mean, what kind of uh, – I mean, you're, you're going to inherit a good deal. That's why – and this is obviously going to be a debate we could have down the road a ways. That's why I just don't think it's a total given that – Coaches are going to shy away from that job following him just because um, it's not like you're walking into a deal where the program has slipped and expectations are high, which usually equals disaster uh, at a program like Alabama. I think you're going to be – whoever gets it is going to be able to go in there and win. Mm-hmm. Um, and it won't be like when Bear Bryant left and they hired Ray Perkins. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, Bear Bryant basically left and they were a Liberty Bowl team, you know. Yeah. Um, right. I don't think – Nick Saban's going out in the Liberty Bowl. I think he'll go out 
probably when he, he you know he wins his eighth or ninth <laughs> yeah national title so yeah it's incredible all right uh we've gone over that's okay though uh time flies when you're having fun jc for those that uh, are still getting used to the podcast world we're getting record numbers each and every week so a lot of people are, are picking up on it but uh, why don't you give them the straight dope on how they can become a part of this podcast yeah, I think that uh, it's real easy uh, for all of you out there. Go to iTunes. If you're an Apple iPhone user or you use Apple products, you have iTunes, go there, hit subscribe. It's totally free. It'll send you a little a little notification anytime we have a podcast. Uh, also, if you're an Android user and you listen to podcasts on your Android, we are on Google Play. Uh, there's an app called Stitcher, which is a podcasting app, which is awesome, and uh, a lot of people Listen to the JC and Morgan podcast there. Also, podcasting apps like Podcast Mania. Basically, any podcasting app you come across that's exclusively for podcasts, they pull those feeds from iTunes and Google Play, so we're on there as well. And, of course, it's distributed all over the 24-7 sports platform um, via thebigspur.com each and every episode. Love it. Love it. JC, always a pleasure. And we'll have plenty to talk about next week. We'll get into some of that uh, coaching talk and uh, some of the best games we'll be looking forward to in less than a month. We can finally say that college football games will be played in less than a month by the time we're uh, doing next week's podcast. So that'll do it for us uh, this time out for JC Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long for now. We'll see you next week on the JC and Morgan podcast. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped boat neck sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped boat neck sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from.